Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about uh, the book of Colossians from our Colossians series. And if you just bear with me a moment, I'm going to make sure uh, that this doesn't go any more than 20 minutes. And then we're going to have a chat. So this is basically an open book exam. There's going to be some questions at the end uh, that you uh, will enjoy answering. So uh, concentration will pay off. And um, I can now confirm that the 20 minutes is running. Awesome. Um, so we've done Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to talk to about Colossians chapter 2. That's where we're going to start. So if you've got that in your Bibles, um, in your little handheld whatever you use for a Bible, and uh, we're going to go to Colossians chapter 2. The... What we see here in uh, Colossians is Paul, and Paul's a church planter, as we know. So I think Paul planted about 14 churches, maybe more. But the church in Colossae, uh, he didn't actually plant, but uh, we understand it was planted through his friend, uh, who's referred to here in Colossians 1 uh, early on, Epaphras, uh, his beloved fellow servant. And Paul actually wrote this uh, from prison, and it was around about AD 60, uh, in prison either in Rome or Ephesus. Um, and, uh, uh, but he, so he had no uh, sort of first-hand connection with his church, as it were, and yet we see him speaking like this, uh, Colossians 2 verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. So it's actually picking up from the end of Colossians chapter 1. So just go back a little bit, Colossians 1 verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And he talks about this great struggle he has for the church at Colossae and Laodicea, uh, for all who have not seen me face to face. So... Um, I think there's a cartography person in the room, um, just so that you know, um, Laodicea uh, is about 15 kilometres northwest of Colossae, so that'd be, if you think about Queanbeyan and the loft, that's kind of a northwesterly direction, about 15 k's, it's exactly the same. So whatever the issues you know, are in the Queanbeyan Fellowship, they're going to be issues at the loft, kind of the same with that Paul was dealing with here. Um, so... He's obviously concerned about a few things, and he says he's greatly struggling. That the, the Greek word there is like in an athletic sense, athletic struggle, and, you know, in a week's time, we're going to be in the Olympics, and those athletes, you know, they're fed income, they're serious. And so um, Paul was serious about his struggle for the church. Uh, he wasn't just slacking off and thinking, oh, yeah, the grace of God will fill in the gaps. No, he was really, um, really struggling for these churches. Um, and the church of Colossae was a new church, quite a young church. So um, he was concerned about their enthusiasm, um, praying that their hearts would be encouraged uh, because he knew that, you know, discouraged Christians are, are vulnerable and uh, he wanted them to be enthusiastic. Uh, he was concerned about their unity and not from um, coercion but from love. He wanted them knit together in love and concerned about uh, the, the full assurance of understanding and knowledge. They're concerned about their wisdom. Uh, in other words, a true wisdom would bring unity, but the sort of false wisdom that he was having to deal with here in this letter would, 
you know, was something that would cause disunity. So what do we know about Colossae? Um, it's, uh, it's in Asia Minor, Turkey. Uh, it's uh, at about the time it had a population, we think, of about 30,000 people. And uh, we, uh, we know that, or we, we surmise that, the commentators surmise that because its stadium has uh, seats 5,000. So they figured, okay, it had about a 30,000 population. And they think about 10,000 of those were Jewish people. Uh, it was a very superstitious uh, uh, town. And a lot of uh, Gnosticism and Stoicism and all these philosophies just abounded there. And in the midst of that, a few people, uh, median houses, uh, formed the church at Colossae. And they were in a, you know, a very much a fledgling state. Um, so there were a lot of um, philosophies on the street, and that was what Paul was struggling for. It's interesting, uh, Colossae, if anyone goes to Turkey, I think we're well thinking of going to Turkey. If anyone goes there, the, um, uh, there was an earthquake some, not too many years after Paul gave this message. So Colossae is covered in a mound, and it hasn't actually been excavated. But there is, and this is true, there is a report that there's an Australian crew about to excavate. So, well, if they give you a shovel and say, dig here, um, you'll be, you know, you'll be groundbreaking. Ruel, um, so we know that Paul's struggling for these people. Is there anywhere else in the New Testament, Ruel, where Paul's struggling for people? So that's big, you know, that's, he's like in the anguish of childbirth. That, that's, and so one of the questions we'll deal with tonight is, who are you struggling for? Who are you uh, seeking to form? You know, maybe it's the youth group, maybe it's your life con, maybe it's someone in your family that you're really seeking to bring uh, formation for. So what was Paul's preaching about? He was dealing with a lot of this Gnostic belief, very sort of a mystical belief. And as we read here, um, he's talking in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, etc., and to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the, the Gnostics had a view that, you know, wisdom was hidden, and they had books that contained this knowledge, and the books were called Apocryphus, uh, and they were barred from ordinary people. So this is what, what it was actually like in AD 60. And so um, there was this talk about secret knowledge, um, things that could make you in a higher spiritual state. And so when Paul used this phrase uh, that um, uh, the understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, he literally punctured that, um, that worldview, that there's some secret that's going to put you in a higher spiritual state uh, over and above Jesus. He says it's all hidden uh, in Jesus. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I'm absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He goes on then to address these uh, problems of uh, people taking uh, these, this new church captive. Um, the, um, let me turn over my, this original manuscript also uncovered from the ruins of Colossae. Uh, bear with me a second. Um, 
So I have mentioned that there was quite a number of Jewish people and this church were sort of straddling their loyalty to uh, the pagan families that they'd left and who would all observe, oh wow, do you know the Smith family aren't coming out to the, um, to the festival tonight, the New Moon Festival? Oh, why is that? Oh, they've got this new God, Jesus. Like, ooh, that's weird. Um, so, you know, on the streets, uh, the word would have got out that these people were following some sort of new God who they thought was God. N.T. Wright um, put it this way, because also there was quite a number of Jews there in Jewish communities. N.T. Wright said this, after embracing Christ, they found themselves drawn towards surrounding Jewish communities. Life, life governed by its law had, that, had its attractions. So a fledgling community stepping out from a lot of pagan superstition see like you know very nearby these jewish communities gatherings with all their rules kind of sounds attractive and um that was alluring to these new christians and um uh yeah that that allurement was what was being addressed here and paul says in verse eight um see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So this is really a, a main point of Paul saying, you know, look to Jesus. Um, he is the fullness of deity dwelling bodily in Jesus um, and he's the head of all rule and authority. Um, Emily, have you got something for us from Isaiah chapter 9? So you can just see how wonderful God is, that, you know, uh, wonderful counsellor, mighty God. Jesus himself saying, I'm the way, the truth and the life. So, you know, this is, this is the pinnacle of Paul's message here. Look to Jesus. He's got everything you need. All the wisdom and the knowledge is wrapped up in Jesus. You don't need to look outside to um, cults and superstitions and all these practices uh, to, to get wisdom. Uh, it's all wrapped up in God. So, obviously, um, most of the people who were becoming Christians um, were, were Gentiles and, you know, the, the men had not been uh, circumcised. So this is addressed. Paul basically says, forget about it. Um, if you're looking for some ex outside form, think about your baptism. Um, if, you, if you want some uh, outward recognition uh, that you've become a Christian, uh, it's your baptism you, you should think about. Uh, and that's really well expressed here uh, by Paul. And um, because the, it's, it's the cutting away of the flesh in the heart uh, that really is what salvation is all about. Um, so I'll read verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by cancelling the record of debt, that stood against us with its, with its legal demands. So the idea of a record of debt uh, that is, you know, against us, is like it's a handwritten document that, you know, is waved over us. You know, thief, crook, swindler, you know, murderer. And, like, I can't get away from that. This is, the, this is, this is my record of my sins, my debt. Um, and, and it's like I'm blackmailed by this label. Uh, so, what's going to happen? How am I going to get free of that trap? Um, 
And we read here in verse 14 that by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So it's a wonderful um, image that the, the sins that we had were nailed to the cross. It's a remarkable piece of imagery that actually cancelled our sins. And so when Jesus went to the cross, uh, as he was nailed to the cross, uh, so were our sins. Uh, what a wonderful um, uh, definition of freedom uh, we have in that. Um, and we see here in verse 15, it's like he takes it up a level. Um, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, uh, triumphing over them in him. Disarming the rulers and authorities. AJ, can you fill us in? Isn't that amazing? So even the people who put Jesus to death, the centurion, you know, how, how hardened would that guy be? Uh, he would have done that dozens of times. Um, you know, truly this was a son of God. And so we see that disarming of the rulers and authorities. There's obviously something very spiritual that happened there. And uh, so the, uh, that battle, the spirits that we now uh, contend with have been reduced in authority greatly because of all of that. And often, um, you know, they can only get us through fear and deceit. Uh, but they have been rendered powerless by Jesus um, dying on the cross and disarming those rulers and authorities. That's, it's an absolutely wonderful, uh, a wonderful thing. And we see elsewhere, I think it's in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, where um, it says if, if the devil had knew what he was doing in putting Jesus on the cross, he wouldn't have done it. If he knew what that was going to unleash uh, for him, uh, he would not have done it. So that's a remarkable thought uh, because of what it meant was the defeat of the devil. So you might say, well, um, you know, that's all great in, uh, you know, Colossae uh, in uh, 60 AD. And, you know, you, you know, I want you to visualise well over there with his shovel starting the excavation. Um, but what's it mean for, in, you know, for us in Canberra in, in uh, 2021? Um, Ruel should know this because he, he forgets over there. Um, Colossae was very famous for its dyed wool, purple. And um, uh, there's a, there's a, a colour actually called Colossinus, which is actually comes from the purple uh, sheep uh, that were uh, farmed there. So something else to put in your notebook there, Ruel. I'm not picking on you, honestly. Um, so, um, but yeah, what are the current day applications of this? Well, um, let's have a look at things that can disqualify us from you really being close, close to the head, close to Jesus. Verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. What you see there when you hear festival, new moon and Sabbath, it's kind of a merging of these pagan practices and the Jewish practice because it was both the, they were getting pressure from the Jewish teachers and the Gentile teachers seeking to lead them astray. And no doubt the Jewish teachers were probably seeking to diminish these people's, their Christian experience and suggest that they might do better in Judaism and, you know, follow all these rules. Paul says, these are a shadow of the, of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. So um, the worship of angels was a, a factor there with the Gnostic 
cult at that time. It was really the beginning of the Gnostic cult, kind of flourished much later, but there were uh, elements of it at that time. And they believed in, you know, a lot of intermediaries between man and God, and that you would actually, um, you'd worship an angel, which was sort of a sign of your humility, that you, know, you didn't really have access to God. And Paul uh, calls that a false humility. Um, so he's, he's addressing this stuff head on um, and talks about the importance of holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Uh, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, all very um, Judaism rules, pharisaical rules, Get away from it, guys. Um, put your eyes and your hearts on Jesus and um, you won't be you know, caught by all those trappings. Um, you know, we, we, the word ascetism was mentioned there and we see it again in verse 23. Um, These indeed have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, r- religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So, moving forward, maybe from AD 60, and, you know, you think about, well, what's the possible application of that? One of the things that was uh, not that uncommon, you know, certainly in the 15th century, were um, hair shirts or sackcloths. Uh, people would, you know, wear a, uh, a hair shirt, uh, you know, as, a, as a, a way of mortifying their flesh, as a way of doing penance. Um, uh, these were, were designed to irritate the skin, and, um, you know, to be very uncomfortable. And there are also some neck laces associated with that that had, like, barbs in them. And this was actually quite common among um, monks and people who tried to, I suppose, self-flagellate uh, as a way of getting close to God. Uh, but Paul says, no, it's, it, really, it really amounts to nothing, and that won't actually protect you from sinning, because sin comes from the heart. It's not to do with the sort of external... Um, Uh, way in which you whip yourself. He says it's of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So if you were to consider, well, what is a current day application of this? What do we have in our lives that could rob us of our prize, that could take us captive? Uh, What philosophy or empty deceit is there? What is it that could delude us? Um, And what could disqualify us from holding to the head? Obviously, the uh, hair shirts, um, I don't think anyone's wearing that here, but you never, never can be too sure. Uh, that's probably not an issue. But there are other principles or things that may be an issue, like, and here's just some that um, I saw and I thought these were valuable. It, perhaps that we say, well, there's no absolute truth. Maybe that's a, a principle that kind of stops me from connecting to God. Or we, we shouldn't share our truth with someone else. Um, Maybe we say materialism equals success. Maybe that's a principle we have, and so that kind of blocks us from being, um, you know, affixed to the head. Or we say there are many ways to God, or we <coughs> support a view that says that. Uh, that's that's going to be a blockage. That's going to be a teaching that's taking, taking us away from Jesus. Or that science is the final authority. Or that intellectualism... Um, is esteemed so highly as the sort of enlightened way to see the world. Um, Paul was pretty clear on that. 
knowledge puffs up. You know, it's love that edifies. Uh, but there, you know, certainly is a worldview that says, you know, the more educated you are, the more righteous you are. I think that worldview exists. Um, possibly in Canberra, you know, maybe we might be um, our value, if we think our value is determined by our rank uh, or, you know, our level in the public service, uh, that, you know, that can be a block. Um, you know, in other words, you know, my, uh, my value is as good as an EL2s. You know, like, um, it, and these things can be um, blockages for us. We're like, hey, I'm not really free to love and serve Jesus because I feel kind of minimalised by these things. Sorry to all the EL2s that are sitting over there. Um, obviously, um, you know, horoscopes and new age and cults um, are a big part of that. And if you think, if you walked into a, a bookshop in Manica and you go in and you'll see, like, you know, the religion section and self-help, new age, people often, like, they'll just brush past the, the Christian part and they'll want to go to the new age and, and the cults because they're looking for, you know, they're looking for that meaning. But Paul, he's saying, no... It's in Jesus that you'll find all that wisdom and all that knowledge. Um, So what we're going to do, this is an open book exam. Um, We are going to be um, uh, helped by Hannah, who's going to put these questions up. And um, so I'm glad you have been listening to three particular questions. And Naomi, rather, um, forgive me, Naomi. Um, The questions are these. and in your groups, we'll do, say, groups of five, four or five, um, you might do all the questions or just one. Um, what person are you struggling to see properly formed in Christ or who could that person be? Um, uh, do you have a good understanding that the record of your debt or sin has been nailed to the cross? And what is one philosophy, traditional principle of the world that previously held you captive? And how are you staying uh, free now? So... Um, if we could just form our little groups of four or five, um, that would be great. Uh, Naomi might put on In Christ Alone or something because that's, kind of, that's kind of the vibe. And um, we'll go from there. And we'll do this for about maybe 10 or 15 minutes. <clears throat>